today to talk to you about public perceptions of animal welfare exhibits perhaps enrichment other topics but really kind of how you know people that are coming to visit zoos and aquariums are perceiving the animals and what some of their thoughts or feelings around them are so welcome to the podcast well it's great to talk to you again i enjoyed our previous conversation so thank you for inviting me back yes yeah. The, the topic you've chosen is, I, I think, something that is uh, near and dear to both of us and uh, an area that, that I've sort of delved into a little bit more recently. And so I think an, an example of, of what, I, what we're talking about is uh, a study that was done at the Brookfield Zoo uh, by Lance Miller and his colleagues. And so he he wanted to understand or ask questions about the zoo visitors and how the zoo visitors perceived the welfare of animals uh, compared to uh, the animal care staff. And then actually the, the study that he did compared, looked at a set of animals and he asked, asked the zoo visitors to assess the welfare. He asked the animal care staff to assess the welfare of this set of animals. And then his science team assessed the welfare of that same set of animals. And um, I think. Not surprisingly, the science staff and the animal care staff were absolutely in agreement on the you know, sort of the level of welfare um, from you know, good to thriving um, and was very different than what the zoo visitors were perceiving. And so as we, and, and so you, know, you and I have talked about this before, as we as zoo and aquarium professionals, as we begin to share information with our zoo visitors, I think it's really important to take them on the journey. We want to make sure that they understand um, how we're assessing animal welfare so they too can assess animal welfare using the same tools or building on the same tools that, that we have. And uh, I, the story that, that I remember is uh, the general curator at the Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle once said, you know, when she walks past the jaguar exhibit and sees the jaguar resting, she's saying, wow, I feel really good about that. You know, here's my, my jaguar calmly resting. Um, I, I, I think he has good welfare. A zoo visitor might follow her right along, go, oh, look, that, that jaguar is bored. And so uh, as we really talk about the welfare of our animals, I think it's really important to understand what our zoo visitors are seeing and feeling and understanding um, because we want them to be a full partner in how we manage animals and how we take care of animals and how um, zoos are supported and uh, as they serve their function in terms of educating and inspiring people. Yes, absolutely. And I, I'm already imagining, you know, and I think there's probably zoos and aquariums that are already doing this, but I'm not sure about it. But um, where, you know, of course, actually, I, I think I've actually seen a few zoos where they have behavioral observations and other activities going on, um, sometimes with volunteers, sometimes with students, but then also with the staff and talking through, you know, how they are scoring behavior and what sort of behaviors they're looking at. Because, yeah, like you say, also our sort of interpretations of what we may think of our own 
animals at home versus wild animals in our care could all be different, but also could have lots of similarities in the way that, you know, I think this, we have similar problems with regards to sometimes people not understanding their own uh, pets at home, their mm-hmm. companion animals. So um, yeah, it's very interesting to look in the space and how can we bring the visitors along about learning to assess the well-being um, of uh, the animals that we, of course, work with, but also how might you then use that, um, you know, with your own animals to as an understanding. Yeah, and I, I think we can we can take our our zoo visitors and our zoo and aquarium visitors knowledge of their own pets to to be able to share that information. So, you know, this is how I tell if my dog is happy and healthy. I, you know, I look at her coat and I frankly look at a lot of poop. I look at her poop. Is her poop, you know, looking good? Um, and, you know, is she eager or eyes bright? Um, but a lot of it is is behavior and her personality. And I think that, again, I think the zookeepers are the, and the animal care staff are the most effective in sharing this information because, you know, I can do that for a, most mammals. I can, I can get there. But in terms of amphibians and reptiles and fish and invertebrates, I, I don't have that skill set, but animal care staff do have that skill set. And so I, I think it's so exciting to uh, watch an animal caretaker talk about what what they're looking at and looking for to make sure their animals are thriving. And, you know, I think that the, that many staff, well, I gotta, you know, I got to put that in my report, uh, which of course they do, but I, I really am pushing for, and you need to share that with the, the visitors, share your excitement and share your knowledge. Uh, because, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I, I think it's a good thing or a bad thing, but when I hear a, a visitor saying, oh, wow, I had no idea. Well, yay, I've, you know, I've been able to provide something that they didn't know, but it's like, oh my God, we're the best kept secret that we take really great care of our animals and we have this great skill set. So I, I think it's, you know, as opposed to um, ignoring the zoo visitors because they're, they're too busy. I, I really want to encourage animal care staff to, you know, take that extra minute because um, number one, you make their day, you make their week, you make their year. You know, the little kids want to be zookeepers when they grow up, which I think is so exciting. Um, but also, I think it helps share our message about how we really work to have our animals thriving in, in zoos and aquariums. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, as a zoo, having sorts of programs, just like we have animal training sessions or, you know, uh, enrichment sessions or foraging sessions, feeding sessions that we do, we could have like, you know, animal welfare assessments sessions on the weekly menu if you like so that people can uh, yeah maybe even you know with clipboards and stopwatches or whatever else they could participate uh, in in these activities and the other thing I think you talked about like personality and you know animals and they're there as individuals and really also that allows that taking them with you in that story who is that jaguar right and uh, what does he or she like uh, what is she like you know and how do we interact and and what are those subtleties yeah that that they are picking up on that sometimes are maybe even a little hard to articulate but um yeah no i like that idea very much yeah you know i and again uh, i i truly love talking to the visitors um and you know i've for many years studied cats and cat behavior and all kinds of different species 
but as you and I discussed, not cheated, not cheetahs and not clouded leopards, because <laughs> I just didn't study them. Um, but as um, I talk to different people, if they have a domestic cat at home, there's so many core behaviors in domestic cats that you see in a jaguar uh, and or you see in a tiger or you see in an ocelot or a margay or whatever. And that um, zoo visitors, because of their experience with pets, have have some tools to be able to sort of read the animals and understand what they're doing. Um, and, I, and I think that's um, very important and it, it, it's nice to help them make that connection. Yes, and I like also how, you know, you talk about how important it is to take the visitors along, you make their day because they are, many of them are seriously interested in, and especially when you have that connection directly with the person about the animals, um, yeah, some of the times that I've been doing research in zoos or aquariums, you know, I would be around either the pool or the, the habitat and people would try and catch your attention. What are you doing? You know, what's going on? And they have a million questions. And it's also then something I think there's sometimes a perception that the visitors think is boring. But that's really not my experience, probably also not yours. Uh, you know, this they want to know a ton of things and taking them along and, and research is not boring. You know, obviously it can be. We can make it super, <laughs> we can make it super dull. So I can make anything boring. Yeah. And, and yeah, we can all make things boring, but we can also make them super exciting just the way we talk about it and we interact with people and um and so certainly also not like belittle people, right? A lot of people are learning a lot and uh, I always have to think about the marine science center in Germany where they do research on like seals and sea lions and I think now they're also you know working on on um, on birds and th that's the only thing they do they do husbandry training and research and people pay to go and see it right so and, and I always use that as an example of how excited people can get about really cool education programs where we take them along in the science or in the in the care of the animals. Yeah, um, John Fraser did some work uh, quite a while ago now just looking at who's the trusted source in a zoo and I think it was done at the Bronx Zoo so I'm delving into my memory here but I, I've thought of course thought the scientist was going to be you know the the person to go to now I was like sixth or seventh on the list and then I thought well maybe the zoo director no they're you know down there and then I thought well maybe the veterinarian well the veterinarian fares a little bit better but no it's the animal care staff the zookeeper that's you know that's that's who I I, I trust and uh, so I, I it puts more pressure on I think the animal care staff um, but just that ability to um, encourage people to be more excited about zoos and understand how we manage animals in zoos and aquariums, I think would be very, very fun. You know, it was sort of back to one of the other things that, that you and I were talking about in terms of, you know, could we have, you know, we sometimes you have an enrichment table or a training wall or something like that. And you talk about enrichment and training. I think that we're still a little fearful about talking about welfare. It's like, hey, you know what? We're assessing welfare. Want to learn how we do that. And I think that there, and rightly so, um, is like, what, do you have a welfare problem? So I, I think that there's still a little bit of fear. And I, I certainly get that um, just when I'm, I'm talking to staff in terms of, hey, can I talk to you about animal welfare? Oh, no, she wants to talk to me about animal welfare. 
Um, no, it's a good thing. No, no. And if you want to talk to me about animal welfare, it's not a good thing. Uh, and, and so I think that there's still this perception that if an animal is not necessarily thriving, it's somehow the caretaker's fault. Uh, when in fact, it, you know, not anybody's fault. It's just our, all of our responsibility to get that animal into an environment or a position where it is indeed thriving. So I think there's still that, that hesitancy uh, in terms of, again, using that word welfare or talking about that concept because it might imply that we're only talking about poor welfare. And it's like, no, I know I'm thinking about my dog's welfare. It's like, okay, now what am I going to do to uh, further enhance her welfare? Yes, no, absolutely. I hear you. I remember when I started uh, consulting on animal training back in 2004, I would barely ever use the word training. I would use interaction, uh, play, connection, because every time I said the word training, people were thinking you had like tigers jumping through burning hoops. And because of this kind of this history of like- I forgot you know, that training used to be a dirty word. You're right. Yeah. And in some places it is still is, you know, because animals have to stay wild because of course living in the zoo is super wild. And so <laughs> that's, a, yeah. And, and I think, you know, of course, um, welfare has such a history from, you know, mitigating bad welfare that I think also, and I think probably, you know, one of the topics that you and I are going to embark on, but not today, is about this, the terminology, right? Welfare, well, uh, well-being, wellness. So I think some of those, yeah, I think there is still a lot of um, uncomfortability around the world. Uh, when you say it, it pops up, oh, it must be negative rather than, oh, let's let's look at. Um, and I think also there's, of course, a lot of pressure on zoos and aquariums and other facilities today that make us um, perhaps feel also more vulnerable or sensitive to certain words or discussing certain topics. And, and we take our profession of course super serious we want the animals to be well um, so yeah it becomes personal um, because it is all our responsibilities but yeah they're so close to our heart it's a um, it's yeah, yeah we're very we're very serious about you know we always talk about oh I have the best job in the world and then I'm deadly serious about my data and my graphs and uh, I I think um I, and again, the, the older I get, the sillier I, I admit to being. And I just love being around animals. And I love telling you story about, stories about animals. Um, and so I, I, I feel less pressure um, to not be silly and be um, shamelessly uh, captivated by all these animals. Absolutely. And I think that's another super interesting thing, right? That we have so many words in, in when we're working with animals and caring for animals that are, it almost seems like we're like in science and so on, or when we write about them or talk about them, almost seems like we're not talking about sentient creatures and living beings. It's quite, you know, so I, I, I agree with you. I love the silliness. I love being able to say, yep, I think this animal's happy without having to put quotation marks. And, uh, and talking about them um, as the other living beings that they are in this world. And, and, uh, and indeed, and I think that sort of silliness, even though we take science very serious, there's also very much a need of looking at how do we 
write and talk and inquire about what it's like to be the, that other. So, um, yeah. And, and people, I, I think, you know, we still have zoo and aquarium visitors. Does the animal have a name? Can you tell them apart? And in most cases, yes, the animal has a name and yes, we can tell them apart. And yes, they have a file this thick from, from a medical perspective or a management uh, perspective um, and that we become very, very attached. I mean, I, I worked for many, many years um, with a wonderful elephant keeper named Roger. And he said, you know, I spend more time with these elephants than I do with my wife and my daughters. And he said, and, and so he said, I have to clarify when I talk about the girls and it's, it's like, no, no, I'm talking about the elephants, <laughs> my daughters. Um, but, you know, he loved his girls and, and, and both did his day job and uh, with his, his children at home. Um, but, you know, I remember one time uh, there was a press release about a gorilla, a beloved gorilla that had died. And they had the scientists talk to the press and said, well, the, you know, the median life expectancy for gorillas is blah, blah, blah. And this animal uh, died after the median life expectancy. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> You know, no, that's not the message. The message is that we cared deeply for this animal that we cared for for many, many years. And, and, I, and again, I, I, I think that some of the new television programs where you get to go behind the scenes at the Bronx Zoo or at the San Diego Zoo or, or some of the other zoos um, begins to, to show that how, how deeply attached we are to these animals and how deeply we care about them. And, and I think also it's beginning to show more of a, a broad taxonomy. It's like, really, you like the snake? I love my snakes, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, I agree with you. Sometimes when I read newspaper articles, but also lots of science papers, uh, this sort of detachment, obviously in science, there's various many different reasons for it also, uh, and different reasons too. But I think also in reporting, a lot of this justifying, you know, they were old um, and it also has to do with fear or the feelings of pressure or, you know, critiques that are not necessarily in favor. And um, yeah, and that's, a, and I think talking about them as those animals that we love, that we know so well, uh, that we are dedicated to, can certainly also, again, like you started with, bring the visitors along on, on who they are and why this is so important to us and, uh, and also help change the narratives. Um, because I think there's the balance, if there is, if you could say it that way, is, is still, I think, mostly about that zoos and aquariums are not necessarily good for animals or doing the right things or not invested in we are, we are really, you know, good zoos and aquariums today do so many different amazing things, but I don't think we are, have mastered yet to how, you know, to talk about it, to write about it and to do so both with science, but also with our hearts. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think any kind of press right now, even if it's a, a happy zoo story, uh, it seems as though a lot of the media said, well, I need for this to be balanced. So I'm going to dredge up something that happened 36 years ago. And uh, it, it's always frustrating to me uh, in terms of, yeah, I, I think that there were a lot of um, things that we did in zoos and aquariums that we think, oh my God, that's not appropriate. You know, modern zoological practices 
here's where we are in terms of modern zoological practices. There are a lot of things we did in the olden days that are very much unacceptable. Okay, I get that. We're not doing that anymore. Here's what we're doing. And so it's, it's, it's always frustrating to me because I'm, again, unabashedly a, a, a zoo and aquarium um, fan. Yes, we almost have to like become masters at the, like copy editing, writing on, you know, making it sensational, all the positive views, because obviously just like any other news, it's not surprising, right? I mean, with whatever news you look, 95% uh, of what is in the newspaper is not positive news. That's why I go to positivenews.com and other <laughs> positive news sites. Um, to also hear, you know, the other the other side, but uh, yeah, most of the reporting needs to be spicy, sexy, in, intriguing, dangerous, uh, or or challenging for it to hit the headlines, right? Yeah, so that's that's another communication challenge that communicators, for sure, in zoos and aquarium space, like how do you bring all those messages out? Exactly. Yes, and I think you know some of the activities you talked about the enrichment table you know, training walls. What are some of the other examples that you have seen, um, you know, where people are bringing in, or organizations are bringing in the public, whether it's directly with one-to-one -one talks or like Mulu Zoo has some really cool, um, you know, science near their lemur exhibits talking about each and every lemur and their personality. So it's taking them along, but the keepers don't necessarily need to be there. What sort of, have you seen examples? You yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of the new veterinary hospitals that are being built um, in zoos and aquariums, I don't know about aquariums, but certainly in zoos, there's a, there's a big old uh, plate glass window. Uh, and so the surgery is right here and, and you know, a hundred guests might be there watching surgery. And so I worked at Disney's Animal Kingdom for a long, long time. Um, and um, that, that was, you know, that's where we did virtually all of our, uh, treatments where an, if an animal was brought into the hospital, it was it was done um, right there in front of the guests. And every so often we'd have somebody faint. They got a little bloody, um, but we always had, you know, and, and again, it was important to have the staffing out there. So one of the vet tech's responsibility was, was always to narrate what was going on. And there were also other staff that were out with <laughs> looking for fainters, but also um, being able to um, you know, do you have any questions or, or whatever? And I, I remember one of our veterinarians um, had done a procedure and it was, you know, in front of the guests. Um, and she was a little worried about the animal. The, the surgery went well, but she was a little worried about the, the guest. Or, <laughs> she wasn't worried about the, she was worried about the animal. And um, one of the people that was out with the guest came in and said, hey, there's a little girl that would like to talk to you. And um, Dr. D said, oh man, I really want to go check on the animal. She went, okay, you know, there's, seven people in there attending to that animal, I'm good. And so she went out and maybe spent five or five or so minutes talking to this little girl. And at the end of the little girl said, you know, I wanna be a veterinarian when I grow up, I wanna be just like you. And Deidre um, just, you know, fell into a pool of tears telling that story because she said, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, my, my, both of those are my responsibilities the animal had many people taking care of it. And, and she said, I had this opportunity to, to interact with this, this little girl. And um, it was just very important. And so I, I think that for all of us, you know, when I talk about the zoo walk, do you know what I mean by the zoo walk? 
you're walking, uh, you got quite a stride going because you got to go from the administration building to the vet hospital in, you know, two minutes or something. We all have the zoo walk. A lot of times we don't need to be in the vet hospital in two minutes. We've got 22 minutes. Um, and so it's really chatting to, to people on the way. And, you know, I, I manage a lot of different scientists. And, you know, when you're collecting data, sometimes you really can't look up. Um, but most of the time you can. Most of the time you can do two things at once. You can be accurately monitoring your animal and also telling people what you're doing. Oh, you want to help me here? You know, I get a little kid to help you. If you can, you know, if you're, the quality of your science doesn't suffer, and I think most of the time it doesn't, I think that you can do that. And so, you know, emphasizing that guest interaction and sharing your passions with guests is just as important as anything else that you do. And, and you know, like, oh, I don't want to talk to guests. I like animals better than people. Well, <laughs> get over it. Sorry, sorry. Really embrace the fact that you have so much influence, especially animal care staff. They have more influence than anybody else and um, more ability to inspire and engage and connect really than anybody else. Yes, absolutely. They are, as you said, the trusted source. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's really pretty cool. And I think, and it's, it's also interesting to think about, okay, so if it's a time issue, then in what way could we perhaps change the way we clean, uh, perhaps spot clean or do other sorts of, how can we change some of our routines perhaps that allow us to free up, you know, uh, five minutes here or, or 10 minutes there, and, um, or can we engage more students, you know, to be the ones who are like prompting and interacting with um, the public as we are collecting the data. And so, yeah, so how can we kind of find solutions to some of the challenges that we might face, whether it's time or money or not having a research budget or something like that? Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Jill, for coming on to talk about uh, this is actually going to be part of a little blog with some more ideas and setting context as well with some other examples from around the world. So but thanks so much again for coming on to the podcast and talking about visitors and our messages and how we can together uh, be change makers for animals and peoples in this beautiful planet that we share. Thanks again, Jill. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.